Welcome to Textile Update, the podcast where we can share our passion for textiles, fibers, and yarns. This is Gwendolyn Hustvedt. Today we have the fourth and final podcast on the topic of naturally occurring cellulose fibers. Today we're going to wrap up our conversation about naturally occurring cellulose fibers by having a really short conversation. So this this may be on the shorter side for one of my podcasts. Really short conversation about the minor cellulosic fibers. As I said before, the real great source of information about these minor cellulosic fibers is Matthew's Textile Fibers. It just has lots and lots of detailed information about these fibers. But my goal with this uh, Textile Update podcast series is to really just give you enough to be going on with. If you're interested, there's uh, plenty of resources that you can dig into further. So just for now, let's talk about uh, the, the... economic, the the minor cellulosic fibers that you might encounter if you were putting together a product and trying to decide uh, which you wanted to use. Uh, The first one, very common, I can buy it today at Target, is uh, actually have it right now in front of my house, is something made from coir, which is what we call the fiber from the coconut seed. So this is a seed hair fiber, right? Um, And uh, the coir is very stiff. Uh, It's naturally tan, uh, almost never bleached and dyed, uh, because the lovely thing about coir is it's resistant to rotting in water and light and weather and abrasion, which makes it perfect for things like mats and brushes that might be used to brush off dirty shoes or to remove soil in some way because it's a fiber that can stand this kind of use uh, because it was designed to protect the coconut seed in its transit across the ocean. Now, the other minor seed fiber that we might uh, encounter is kapok. Kapok is uh, buoyant, so it's used in life jackets. Uh, It mainly comes from, like a coir, comes from the Pacific region, uh, from a plant called the Kapok, uh, also sometimes called the silk cotton tree, which just sounds like an English translation of, you know, somebody saying, what does Kapok mean? Uh, so let's just call it Kapok. Why not? Uh, K-A-P-O-K, Kapok. Uh, the fiber is uh, resilient but brittle, and for this reason, it's mainly used for fiber fill uh, because uh, being pliable is a requirement for being spun and made into a textile. But uh, being used as a fill inside of a life jacket, well, that's, uh, that's pretty straightforward, right? So kapok and coir are the two seed fibers, uh, minor fibers, but uh, each with a unique and interesting story. Uh, another uh, bast fiber that is very, um, oh, sorry, another category are bast fibers, right? So uh, bast fibers come from stems, and I, w- I was so excited to get to jute. Now, jute is the instance of a fiber that actually, like, has a whole part of the world named after it. Jutland, uh, in, in or, or was the fiber named after the land, right? See, hard to say. Uh, in my textile-centric world, I'm going to say that the region of land was named after the jute. So it looks like grass, right? And, and in many cases, uh, uh, our guess in the archaeological record is that some of what we're seeing is jute. 
It's abundant. Uh, it just grows everywhere. And it's been used for a very long time to make things like twine and um, rope. It is weak. It is brittle, does not make uh, excellent garments, right? Linen is better, and you can see how much better linen is when you compare it with jute. Uh, jute, uh, like coir, almost never uh, bleached, uh, so it'll often just have its natural brown appearance. Processed, very much like linen, uh, and um, because it's uh, uh, so abundant and inexpensive, it's used for things like ropes on ships uh, because uh, uh, when, when it breaks, you just chuck it over the board uh, and get another one. No big deal, not expensive. Uh, nowadays, we see it in carpet backing, potentially. Uh, we'll learn a lot more about carpet later in my series. Uh, but it's great to have something inexpensive as the backing of the carpet and let the fibers in the pile be the star of the show. Another bast fiber that uh, is uh, intriguing, not as seen as often. I remember uh, when I was a kid in the 80s, uh, we had a burst of Raimi products coming out of uh, Asia, out of China. Uh, Raimi, R-A-M-I-E. Uh, I actually had a kid in my class named Raimi uh, in fourth grade, and I remember um, that was roughly the same time as Raimi sweaters were introduced. Coincidence? Hmm. Uh, at any rate, uh, it could also be called China grass or grass cloth or rhea. Uh, Raimi, unlike jute or um, coir, is white and very lustrous. And for this reason, uh, in the 80s, it was being used as a, as a substitute for cotton. Uh, the problem is, is that it has very low resiliency, so it wrinkles very badly. And uh, it's nowhere near as soft and comfortable as cotton. So you get a sweater, uh, it, it potentially had been mislabeled as cotton, and then it just, um, it just uh, is crunchy, right? And, and then you're like, wait, something's going wrong here, right? Um, and it turns out that uh, it's rainy that's been mislabeled as cotton. Um, it, it, I'm gonna uh, leave hemp for last, uh, so I'm gonna skip to kinaf. Uh, kinaf is a very tall, a grass-like plant that grows very quickly um, and uh, the fiber from kinaf uh, can be used to make uh, non-wovens. So uh, because of the challenges uh, that it might have with spinning, um, we very often see it in uh, non-woven applications such as um, inside of automobiles, uh, places where we need a, a paper-like material that's a bit more flexible. Uh, we've done a lot of research trying to make Kenaf into a more um, uh, useful and marketable um, fiber uh, because it grows so well in parts of the U.S., but uh, we just really haven't uh, made the leap um, into, into things like uh, Kenaf uh, fabrics. Um, so I saved hemp for last because hemp is a bast fiber, can also be made into linen. Uh, it's uh, strong and absorbent like linen uh, and um, uh, I think that the main reason why uh, we don't see it quite as much as, as people would like, um, there was, there's been a big push to grow a lot more hemp uh, in part because hemp was outlawed. Anytime you outlaw something, uh, people get excited. Um, hemp is a much better source for fibers for ropes than jute, right? So hemp was grown in the United States when our access to hemp was cut off during World War II. So during World War II, um, before that, we, most hemp had been grown in um, 
like for example the Philippines and so during the war uh, the US was cut off from their uh, from their sources of hemp in Europe and in the Pacific and so uh, farmers in the US began growing hemp in order to fill the need for the Navy uh, but because the hemp plant uh, can be uh, just uh, uh, casually confused with the cannabis plant, um, then uh, once uh, drug interdiction efforts uh, really got underway um, in the 60s and 70s, uh, hemp was uh, outlawed for, for growth. Now, more recently, that law has been changed, so people are now allowed to grow hemp again, and I think it's kind of in a way a victim of its own mythology. Uh, when you made something illegal, that made it seem a lot more exciting than it was. Um, I have a student every semester who will come and want to talk to me about how basically hemp will save the world and and I think you know no one fiber is that amazing right even my beloved wool has its downsides um, we're we are not wearing we're not not wearing hemp because um, uh, because we don't know or because it's been outlawed if we look back over the course of, of millennia when there was no bias towards the plant uh, it still wasn't used uh, to make tons of apparel for one thing, it doesn't elongate very well and it has lower elastic recovery. And we really discount those two things in making something comfortable and look good, right? Um, and so, uh, so yeah, uh, I, I certainly wouldn't not buy a hemp product I liked. Uh, so I don't want to be biased against it. But at the same time, uh, I don't know anyone that has a whole closet full of hemp. If you are such a person, please contact me. I'd love to talk to you. So uh, hemp, uh, linen from hemp especially, uh, is what we would use in apparel, but it's mainly used for things like twine and yarns that sew together shoes and, as I mentioned before, ropes. We uh, now finally get to talk about leaf fibers. You'll notice that, uh, that uh, cotton was our big example of a seed fiber, bast was our big example of, uh, I mean, flax was our big example of a bast fiber, all these four-letter words. Uh, but uh, the leaf uh, fibers are trapped in the minor category uh, and that's because uh, they are uh, brittle and lack the cohesiveness and just haven't uh, boosted up into that suitable for textile category. Uh, the, the couple that I think are fun to know about, uh, that's really what I want to emphasize here is just like you can say, yeah, and did you know you can make uh, textiles from leaves, abaca comes from the banana plant and pina comes from the pineapple plant. Uh, we can do some things with the agave leaf, right? Uh, sisal is a leaf, henequen is a leaf. Uh, these are mainly used to make decorative te uh, textiles. Again, rope, placemats, handbags, these sorts of end uses where the lack of cohesiveness, the lack of resiliency, the brittleness, the stiffness, these aren't a drawback. Now there is a type of, of uh, very uh, sheer white shirt that's made in the Philippines, uh, often from Pina, worn by gentlemen there who wanna look um, uh, starchy and cool and calm and collected, right? Uh, but uh, it's great for this kind of end use because uh, shirts themselves don't necessarily uh, uh, undergo the same kind of rumpling and wrinkling that pants or dresses would. So, um, so I'm not saying that, that leaf fibers are never used in apparel, it's just a very rare instances. But now, won't you look smart when you're able to say, oh yes, the banana, fi uh, banana leaf can be made into a fiber, or the pineapple leaf can be made into uh, a textile called piña, uh, just because, why not? 